Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. So good to be in the house of the Lord with the ecclesy of God, going after the gates of Hades. Amen. You know, that just wasn't a sermon series, it's reality, right? All right, hang on. Turn it down. Why? All right, technology. Thank you for your patience. Uh, Let me do this. And let me do this. All right. Hey. All righty. All right. I know it's getting old, but we're going to use it anyway. Well, good afternoon almost. Wasn't that a great testimony? Man, that precious little baby. Man, the, the RE group went wild. Seriously, went wild when she, the doctor said, you know, she basically had a, received a regenerated cervix. That's a creative, creative miracle of God. Isn't that amazing? You know why? Because he's just a good father. Turn to your neighbor and say, yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. All right. Today, I want to talk to you about part two of the chairs. All right? So, the chair sounds like a movie, but part two of the chairs. So, I just want you to know that if you're a born-again believer... You are not standing here outside of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if you weren't here last week, grab the podcast, look at the video, because I'm not going to revisit that. I just want you to know that John 1.1, John 1.2 says that the Godhead is not in a straight line. They're face to face. So that means that if we are, if Christ is in the Father and we are in Christ and Christ is in us, then we're actually in the very center of his affections, the very center of his heart. That means that you are, you are not an outsider and you're not orphaned because you have found Jesus and he's Lord and Savior of your life. So that means that you have been placed in Christ and now you stand in the very center of the Godhead and there's constant Love and affection being poured into you. Now, there should have been some kind of amen there um, because the Bible says God is love. The engine of the ecclesia is L-O-V-E. It's agape love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He sent Jesus. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. And we'll dive into that a little bit more in the coming weeks. But next week's Easter. And so we're going to, yeah, okay, get a little louder. Next week is Easter. Shout a little louder. All right. So we're going to talk, we're going to experience Easter next week, yeah. all right? We're just going to go after it. I like to go after, really get focused on going after signs and wonders and miracles. 
because I want to go after what Jesus paid for. The whole cross and the resurrection was so that we, the, the work, the saving work of Jesus can come, but the ongoing work of the Father can be demonstrated in all of us. Okay, come on now. All right, so take your Bibles, and, and Anthony, if that mic ever comes on, just give me a thumbs up, okay? Um, and turn to Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to visit Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 3. I'm not going to read all of it, um, but I am going to summarize it. I am going to give you the addresses, so if you want to go to it later, you certainly can. Everyone say amen. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 talks about the creation of man. And what is important for us to recognize this morning is in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. So the first thing I want you to grab a hold of, this is all review, if you've been like in the faith for a season, is that we are made in God's image and likeness. We are made like God. All right, so jump over to Genesis chapter 2, 7 and 8. And it says there, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, that's interesting, the breath of life, and man became a living being. When did man become a living being? When the breath of God came into him. That means man was formed but dead. Man became alive when the breath of God entered in. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So it's good. It's good. Hallelujah. Praise God for miracles. <laughs> Give Anthony a hand, everybody. Awesome. Oh, this is so I have freedom. Some people, they like the, the mic. I like this. Does it sound just as good? Yeah, wow, that's awesome. <sighs> so man is not created in the garden. Man is created outside the garden, and God puts him in the garden. So man was created in the wild. And then he's placed in the garden. That's another sermon. Verse, verse 17, I mean, verse 15, chapter 2. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. In other words, there was work even when we were in a perfect state. <clears throat> and the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. We always talk to men about food. But of the tree of knowledge... Of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat it, you will surely die. Well, that's pretty strong. But it's true. Genesis chapter 2. Let's go to verse 21 through 22 and 25. Because the Lord creates Adam. He puts him in the garden. And he tells them, he tells him not to eat of the tree of, the, of good and evil. Then he puts him to sleep and he forms woman. 
Woman. You ever heard that before? Like he looked at her and said, whoa, man. <laughs> Stuck. All right. And the Lord... You guys never heard that before? Seriously? And the Lord... And all the men said, amen. Come on, man. Oh, you guys. And Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, he made it into woman. And he brought her to the man. And they were both naked and the man, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So, here we have, here we have God, t- out of the dust, the, the, the dirt, the whatever, takes, forms Adam, right? And then he places him in the garden. Where's Adam? He's right here. Because Adam walked with God. They had fellowship. We don't know how long it was between Adam and the creation of Eve. But let's just say it was five minutes later because Adam needed somebody. We know he named all the animals. Okay, anyway. So he create, he, Adam goes to sleep, has a nap. Out comes this woman, and he looks at her, and he says, Whoa, man. <laughs> like, whoa. So it sticks. And so God takes, brings Eve. The Bible says that God brings Eve to Adam. So I don't know where Eve was, but Father, because he's always been Father, brings Eve to Adam. And they're both here. Now, I'm not talking about in a physical sense, but they walked with God. They were in union with the Lord. There was, there was no sin. There was only, I don't know, vibrating, pulsating love and connection. Intimacy, I believe, with the Trinity. Because it says... In Genesis chapter 1, let us make man. So he invites mankind, let's just say Adam and Eve, into the very presence of himself. Now, we don't know how long that was. But wherever, I don't even know how I could safely illustrate this. Let's just say the intimate presence of the Lord So wherever Adam and Eve were, the presence of the Lord in his perfect state was with them. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no sin. And there was no evil. And one day, we're going to return to that state. It's the new Jerusalem. We're going to be forever in his presence. No shame, no guilt, no pain, no separation, no flaws. We're going to be in this perfect place in the intimate presence of the living God who is the uncreated. I I can't even fathom that. 
I mean, try not to think about it more than 10 seconds. Your mind will blow up because theologically you cannot wrap your brain around it, though we try. And I think he delights in that, personally. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. You guys ready? I have a news feed. I'll put that news feed right there. Genesis chapter 3. I'm reading now the New King James, by the way, because somebody turned me on to this Bible. I'm not going to mention any names, but Korean, good job. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. You guys know this whole chapter is loaded, right? Okay. So I'm just going to do a flyby for the sake of, the, of what we're talking about. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, their eyes were already opened. What eyes is he talking about? Verse 6, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. In other words, who doesn't want to be more like God? Now, we don't know how Eve received this. We do know that Adam was next to her. And Adam, for whatever reason, didn't step up and protect his wife and say, I don't know, take the, take the serpent by the throat and throw the serpent on the ground or whatever. Like, take him out. Or ask the father to take him out. But he didn't protect his wife. Come on. He didn't take his rightful place. And all the ladies, okay, anyway. <laughs> Women have had a bum, bum rap over this verse. I'm talking about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the church. I mean, Martin Luther, like these, John Calvin, these, anyway, I told you it was loaded, and I don't, I'm just saying that I think if Adam would have stepped up, wouldn't have this problem. Come on. Oh, don't even go. I'm going to read. I don't even know what verse I'm at. Verse 7. <laughs> verse 6. Uh, I'm just going to read the whole verse. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it, wasn't, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and she ate. Ate. 
She also gave her husband with her, and he ate, of course. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I don't have time to talk about the extent of the fall. I mean, we could preach weeks on the fall. But two things happened that's pertinent to our discussion about the father heart. Number one, as soon as they both ate of the fruit, and it wasn't an apple, it says fruit. So I'm using an apple device that has the logo in the back. I love the apple. It says a fruit. Just want to let you know. Could have been a coffee bean, for all I know, because that's a fruit. Number one, they saw themselves differently. And number two, they saw God differently. Shame and guilt fall upon Adam and Eve. And then the Scripture says that they were afraid of God and they hid from God. So their intimate fellowship with the Father was broken the moment they ate the apple or the banana or whatever. So what they did to hide their guilt, to hide their shame, they used fig leaves. They, I mean, some translations say they made an apron out of these fig leaves, but they... they they put these fig leaves together to cover their, their shame and their guilt. And when that took place, they now saw God through their own perspective after the fall than the perspective that they had when they were here. In other words, what took place was more than just them eating some fruit and sinning. They're, theologians call it total depravity, total separation. So what they actually did by eating the fruit is they took themselves out of fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So now, through the line of Adam... We see God through a fallen perspective. What's that? It's good and evil. It's right and wrong. It's do this and don't do that. Because agape, there is no sin in agape love. There can't be. God's love is absent of sin. So they stepped out of this perfect union with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Adam and Eve are out here, and now we are introduced to what we call, well, what's been called through the years, religion. And religion is man's attempt to find God. It's man's attempt to please God. Are you guys with me? 
I want to make sure I get this. It's a version of God that's man-made. So now, it's do's and don'ts. We get the form of legalism that's wrapped out here that's not in here. The argument in the New Testament, Paul's ongoing argument in the New Testament, whether it's Romans, whether it's Galatians, is that you don't have to keep the law anymore because Christ, the champion of heaven, satisfied the law. Now you can step into the perfect love of God without shame or guilt. All right? So here's Adam and here's Eve. They're out here. So then Cain and Abel are born. We have, there's murder that's introduced. There's a, there's a striving that's introduced. There's this fallen perspective that's introduced. There's this reach to find somehow to appease God. And through the years, we have Islam. We have all these religions. In my, in my life, it was Catholicism. It was this continual reach to find some way to make it right between me and my maker. And we have people who are strapping explosives on their bodies and destroying themselves and innocent people for, for the purpose of somehow, some way, it's gonna bring me closer here. Like I'm gonna achieve something here. So I'm gonna kill myself in the process. It's this constant stream of reaching and reaching and reaching. And all they are are orphan sons who are disconnected from their father. People who don't know who Jesus is or never met Christ the Savior, they're living outside of this and they're searching. The person who's obstinate at work, the woman who's had, who continues to sleep around, the man who's the player. Yeah, okay, I understand all that, but they're searching for something. And there is issues of pride. But there's shame, and there's guilt, and there's pain, and they're looking for comfort. That's why that's a whole nother message, that he is our comforter. Oh. That's the foundation. Listen. Oh, I won't even go there because I'm going to bunny trail. I don't want a bunny trail. So religion is created out of fear, brokenness, and pride. That's why we see in is it Genesis 6, the Tower of Babel, Babel, whatever you want to call it. It's man's attempt to be like God, to even be as God by building structures to get to God. It was why Lucifer became the, the fallen angel because he wanted to be like God. So, in order to ensure eternity, we have all kinds of religion. Adam and Eve are in this broken state. 
There's shame and there's guilt. And I don't know if you ever really, like, thought about, oops, thought about, like, why, why did the Lord banish them from the garden? Like, the Lord puts angels in front of the tree of life. They would have ate from the tree of life. They would have lived forever in their brokenness. They would have lived forever in their pain, in their shame. So the Lord lovingly puts guardians over the tree of life, and he moves them out of the garden. The Old Testament, the laws introduced in the Old Testament, to let them know the severity of they can never obtain right standing with God apart from grace. But the law also introduces us to his nature, to who he is, namely that God is holy. And so we have these, these, this book called the Old Testament, which is about Adam and Eve and his line, his generational line, seeking to appease God or to please God, but they're in their place of sin. They can never reconnect with God. Does that make sense? Did I lose people? There's times when the Lord, when the Lord steps up and reveals himself with visitations. We call it in the Old Testament the angel of the Lord. And so, in the journey of the Old Testament, we see people getting close to the Godhead. We see glimpses of their life and a reflection of the goodness of God being reflected off their life. But they're only glimpses. So, if I had time today, I would bring up somebody, and then there was, there was Abraham. And then there was there was Moses, and then there was David, a man after God's own heart, and then you have Isaiah. There's prophecies in the Old Testament, not much, but a few, namely Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. We see in the Old Testament an expression where the father is saying, Israel is my firstborn. So we're getting this picture, though it's minute, that the father still wants to embrace a son. And in the Old Testament, that son is Israel. And so you have Isaiah, you have David, you have, I mean, you can, there's all kinds of Old Testament characters, right? You have all these people that get close, but they can't get in. They give you pieces of his, of his goodness, of his nature. David writes about it in the Psalms. In fact, David talks about God even being a father. But you begin to see glimpses of the nature of the father, but it's, it's, it's not clear. It's still not not enough for us to, to truly understand who he is, and he's continually reaching out to mankind, especially Israel, trying to draw them in, bring them near. 
Israel's rebellious. He draws him. He sends a prophet. He, he has a king like David, a man after my own heart, drawing his firstborn in the natural near. Are you guys okay? It's a little exciting because I know how the story ends. So the Old Testament characters cannot reveal the true nature nor the complete nature of the Father's heart. So we just see a glimpse of them drawing near, and we read about that in Scripture. The law is given through Moses, declaring the nature of God and man's only means to access God. In other words, you're going to have a priest go in once a year. You know, don't have time to, but you understand the process there. They, the Israelites, the Jewish people, so revered God that they wouldn't even say his name. They wouldn't, uh, I just discovered that anytime they wrote his name, they would change pens. There was such a, a reverence, but a, a fear of the Father demonstrated in the Old Testament. But we do see God continuing to call his people back and extending mercy and forgiving them as Israel would repent again and again and again. And so we have Isaiah 9, 6. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. In Jeremiah 30, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 19. And I said, hear the word of the Lord, you shall call me Father. You shall call me my Father and not turn away from me. 400 years of silence between Old Testament and the New Testament. Did you ever text somebody and they didn't get back to you in five minutes? Did you ever text someone they didn't get back to you in one hour? You're getting mad now. Maybe you text someone they don't get back to you in a whole day. You're thinking, did I do something wrong? Did I offend somebody? They're not responding to my text. Try 400 years. 400 years, silence, Old Testament, New Testament. And what we have in those 400 years is the rise of two groups, among many other things, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they blended the law with oral tradition or the tradition of the fathers. They made it so hard to access God that Jesus constantly is rebuking them in the New Testament out of love. He's rebuking them. So all I want us today to see is simply this. There's a void here. If, just for the sake of illustration, don't get theological on me. I'm saying there's a, there's a void here for the sake of the illustration and mankind is out here. The law is here. The reach is here. About 500 B.C., Buddha comes into the scene. We have Confucius coming into the scene. We have Islam being introduced about 1,000 years after. We have all these reaches to somehow gain God's approval and acceptance. 
And then we have this 400-year gap, and then one day, in the fullness of time, Galatians chapter 4, New King James Version, but in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let me read it to you out of the Passion Translation. But when the era came to an end, what era? This one right here. What era are you talking about? I'm talking about the in-between and everything before Jesus. But when that era came to an end and the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, Father sent his son, born of a woman. I mean, there's this so loaded, right? It's like a, it's like a baked potato with like sour cream and just loaded, right? Okay, so don't, I know you're hungry. God sent his son, born of a woman, it's crucial, born under the written law, yet all of this was so that he would redeem, you cannot redeem what was once not yours. He would, come, he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that, like unto, we would receive our freedom and full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know for sure that we are tr truly his children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts. Everyone say, my heart. my heart. Moving us to cry out intimately, my father, your our true Father. I mean, I don't even have time to break that down. I will later. But I just want you to see mankind was here, and in the fullness of time, Jesus steps out, Philippians 2, takes on flesh as the God-man, and he goes to the cross, which we're going to talk about next week. And he's nailed there on the cross. Under what? He's doing this so he can bring us back to here. 
Why? Because that's the heart of the, of the Godhead is that for all humanity to be right here. Now and throughout eternity. Does that make sense to you? We have all this striving and reaching and legalism and all this stuff happening out here and they're blinded and they're blowing themselves up and they're doing all this and Jesus already satisfied the law. Jesus already went through the pain. So you don't have to. Oh, next week, all right, next week. We're just gonna talk about that. So Jesus, because it says in John 17, He's praying to his father, and he says, basically, I cannot wait to get back here with you face to face. I finished it. Under what? Jesus was the representation of the father's heart. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the father except through me. No one comes where? To the father. But we don't have a revelation of the Father. No one taught me about the Father when I was in Bible school. They'll tell me, they'll taught me about pneumatology, which is the study of the Spirit. They taught me about Christology, which is the study of Christ. They had no courses on the Father heart of God. And that's the point of Jesus coming. Wow. That's crazy. Jesus even said this, it's not the works that I do. The miracles that you see, it's from the Father. But we have a Father that's like this. We don't see him. He's here in our theology. He's here in our lifestyle. He's here in our churches. He's here. And I'm telling you, he's not. No, no, no. He's here. And you're here. What does that do? It liberates you. Oh, there's a whole lot that does. But I, I just know, okay, me, this, I'm wrapping it up. I'm wrapping it up. For me, it's not about praying more. You didn't pray enough. You didn't read your Bible enough. Would you just stop that and just rest? Well, how do you access God? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? And the answer is yes. What's the motivation? What's the drive? What's the, it's not a good word. What's the motivation? The motivation is to know God more, not to make me a better Christian. Right. So what does that mean? See, because I've had glimpses my whole life. I've had glimpses. Like, I, like you talk to me about the Father. I could talk to you for two hours about the Father, maybe an hour. But it was all, it's all about Jesus. Well, it is. Because you guys are like, is PG really going? No. It's all about the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. 
Yeah, it is. Under what? Bringing us back to the Father. I don't even have time to tell you how much of a fatherless generation we live in. How people are orphaned. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, an orphan was a fatherless child. In our culture, maybe an orphan is a child without parents, which is another dive into something else. But we're, see, my whole heart is the last years, like, we've got to learn how to reign in life. We've got to learn how to reign, like, not R A I N, R E I G N, reign in life. Because it says in Romans that we're to reign in life. And we're trying to keep people, a lot of pastors, not, not in this house, but so many are, are on life support in their Christianity. That doesn't make sense to me. How can you sit here and be on life support? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about being, you're in the hospital and you're receiving, but I'm talking about you're, you're here how can you be on life support spiritually when you're here? We've got to learn how to live this thing. We've got to be what, what Paul says. You're more than conquerors. Like, the things that are in the New Testament have to line up because it's not God that's off. It's me. So you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So I've shifted gears. So you know, guys, I'm an early bird person. I don't know if you know that. You know it now. I don't need an alarm clock. And I don't like that, that I don't need an alarm clock. But now I just wake up, let's flip some music on, and I just rest. And I just say, Lord, there's a lot of needs. And then I ask, I just ask the Lord to, I, I call it the nutrients of heaven, the substance. I ask him to fill me. Well, you've got to read the Bible more. Here's my prayer. Lord, give me a desire to read your word more. Let it come out of here. You should pray more. Lord, I feel like I need to stay connected to you more. I want to get to the point where I'm praying without ceasing. Well, what about the lost? Got to reach people for Jesus. Well, give me your heart for the lost, Father, because that's why you sent your son. Paul says this, it's the love of God that constrains me. It propels me. The love of God is what it is that makes me do what I do. Not because I'm supposed to. When you start functioning from that, that from we call it the river. Ryan was talking about the, something about the river. He said it so fast I couldn't, anyway. Hey, 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 or something, or whatever. But it's that river that flows. I know a lot of you already have it figured out, which is awesome. That's that you're living from that place. If you're not, 
I invite you into that place. Because we'll do anything to win God's love. And I'm telling you this afternoon now, it's not about winning, it's receiving it. See, it's all finished. What Jesus did, the master plan of heaven, what he did, satisfied it all. You don't have to earn it. You just receive it. That's too good to be true. It is too good to be true, but it is true. You just receive it. Well, how do I change? It's transformation. It's from the heart we change. We're not talking about conformity. We're talking about transformation that comes from the heart of God. And let me say this before you guys send me any emails. Some things need to start with discipline. But never let it stay in the place of discipline because I believe that discipline gets us on the road to passion. So you might start with, hey, five minutes, but I'd rather take this route. Bring me the nutrients of heaven in such a way that I'm compelled to read your word. Like it's a life source, not an assignment. It's not because I have to, it's because I want to. And when I read it, help me understand it. You understand the connection? You're sitting here asking him, can you imagine the father's like, Jesus, he wants to read. Yeah, we'll help you with that. Do you know what I'm talking about? We have believers who are like, oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not striving. I'm not doing enough. I hate it. And it's like, then they, they leave the church. They can't do it. They leave the church because it was never part of the plan anyway. They burn out. They get frustrated. They're burned out on ministry. They're burned out on this. They're burned out on that. They're burned out on that because they're not in receive mode. They're driving the ministry to fulfill an assignment without anything here. Am I talking to anybody? It all starts here. What did Jesus say? I only do what I see the Father doing. That's a, that's a loaded statement. What's the point? What's the principle? He was in communion here. You know, when he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, you ever kind of scratch your head on that one? A yoke is a piece of wood. I know I'm going way longer. It's a piece of wood with two animals on it. The right side of the yoke bears almost 100% of the pressure. The one on the left just follows the stronger animal as they plow a field. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, my burden is light. I've already done all the heavy lifting. So take the pressure off. 
trying to figure out how to close it because you guys are all staring at me. Let's stand because I'm really late. I started late. If this is beginning to make sense to you, say amen. Amen. We're going to go into this. I feel like there's going to be this season of breakthrough for so many people in this room. And right now, I know it's kind of hitting you. And you're like, and you might have questions that kind of like do this, like little, little fences. If you don't, just, you don't have to even worry about Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Just start with John. Read the Gospel of John. And I've taken my Bible, and it's new, so this is the first marks, one of the first marks, but I've taken and I've highlighted every time the word Father is used in connection with Father in Heaven. And I think there's over 105. What does that mean? That means that everything Jesus did was to express and reveal the Father heart. Take the hand of the person next to you. Don't interlock unless you're serious. That's when I was single. Anyway, I'm not going to do that. Father, there's just a room full of kids. And it just seems like the older we get, the younger we need to become. You said the kingdom is received by children. I think it's more than just a physical thing you're talking about. We're just your kids. Some of us kids have gray hair. Some have more than others. Some have no hair. Some have black hair. Some have red hair. Some have long hair. Some have short hair. Sounds like Dr. Seuss. But we're all your kids, and you love us, and you love us. I'm asking for childlike faith. I'm asking for childlike faith. And I'm asking, Lord God, that though our fathers just were not perfect fathers, some were abusive, some were demanding, some were so bent on performance, that we think that's what you're like. And we, we just come into agreement with the word, that is not what you're like. And we'll have a chance to break all that off. Because you're a father with open arms in every moment waiting to hear from his kids. So I just want to bless you with childlike faith. as sons and daughters of the King who are his children. And oh, there's no one who loves like he loves. 
So I just pray for a revelation of the love of the Father right now. And if you haven't, go deeper. Go deeper. Lord, I'm not talking about theologically getting it right. I'm talking about experiencing the love of the Father. That's what I'm talking about. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would, for a moment, just kind of bypass the brain and just flood our heart. Because your word says to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, I just pray that your presence would just sweep across this room. I mean the tangible presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And may we this week bring people into the Father's embrace. May it be the fuel for our evangelism. Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, awesome. We're going to bring Caitlin up here. Caitlin's going to do it. So she has some brief instruction. And amen. Give her a hand. Would you do that? Before we all leave, I just got a couple things during service that I wanted to pray into. Um, so just keep, everyone just keep standing. You can keep standing if you don't, if you, don't, if you want to. Um, but if you just feel like this is for you, just receive it. And you can put your, you can put your hand up in the air and the people around you, just, we're just going to agree in prayer for it. Um, and then if you want further prayer, um, if I can have the prayer servants come forward and just stand here, they're going to be here for about 20 minutes after service. So the first thing I got... Um, was um, arthritis. I felt like God really wants to heal, and specifically arthritis in the hands. Um, and so if that's you, just put your hand up, and um, the people around you just um, pray. Uh, just put your hands on that person, we're going to agree. There you go. Yeah, so just gather around, put your hands on him. And then also, I felt, we also have someone over here. Um, and if you feel like you've been striving for a promise from the Lord and you've lost hope recently um, for whatever, whether it be for a loved one's salvation, whether it be for a physical or spiritual or financial breakthrough, whatever it is, um, just put your hand up in faith. Put your hand up and we're going to pray for the Lord to refill us with faith and hope. Um, and so everybody just gather around the people whose hands are raised. I see people all around the room. We're the ecclesia, and we lift each other up, right, guys? So um, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Thank you, Lord, for healing. And right now, we just stand before you in faith. We stand in the middle of the Trinity, and we just ask you, Father, for healing, for arthritis right now, God. We just speak to the hands and the other body parts of the people who uh, stood up in faith, and we just say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Pain, you are trespassing, and you have no authority in this place, so flee in Jesus' name. And I just pray, God, for restoration of any sort of um, bone loss or any anything that may have caused the arthritis to flare up in the first place. We just ask you, God, to completely reverse that in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just speak to those who have lost hope, and we just say to their spirits, um, be at peace. Father, we just ask, Lord, for a resurgence of faith, just download faith into each and every one of us today, Father. 
We ask you, Lord, to give us, um, give all of us, especially those who raise their hand, just a new weight of hope and faith and joy in your spirit. Remind us of your promises. Let them be what carries us into the next season, Father. And we declare right now that your promises are yes and amen. And in faith, we are standing here and we are thanking you, God, ahead of time for what you've already promised and that we will see your goodness come forth in the land and in the lives of the people that we love. I just bless all of these ones, and I thank you, God, for their love and their faithfulness. And I just pray, God, that you will um, show up in a fatherly way this week, in a very obvious way that just continues to show our hearts who you are. Give us glimpses of your character this week, Lord. We thank you. You're a good father. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.